While others are gathering with us, can we turn and sing together some of the lovely old gospel hymns? I'm going to commence with that lovely hymn 197, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. Sorry, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. If I can read these, I can still blame the glasses, but you can't blame the glasses for being stupid. But Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. We'll remain seated while we sing the first two verses of this hymn, please. Two hundred and eight sound the gospel of grace abroad. There's life in the risen Lord.
Well, if there was any cobwebs up them gone, I was nearly in the gallery. Uh, so I hope that we'll be able to sing this next one. And it's a ruler once came to Jesus by night to ask him the way of salvation and light. And the answer the Saviour gave him is still the same answer today, 2,000 years later. He must be born again. Everything changes in life, but the message of the gospel is always the same. And praise God, we're going to sing about that wonderful redemption. A ruler once came to Jesus by night. <laughs> Happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Saviour and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. <coughs> happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Oh. 
Our opening hymn tonight is hymn number 281. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood whose all their guilty stains. A grand old gospel hymn and I trust that the words of this hymn will be a challenge to all our hearts as we rejoice in the fountain that was opened for sin and for uncleanness. We'll stand together while we make this our opening hymn. You're singing well, and you seem to have the same problem as me, because I can see some of you, and you're sort of, you're just squirming, and you're maybe having difficulty seeing those words. Well, if you're having difficulty seeing the, those words, i lend you these glasses of mine, because I am just trying to get to grips with the glasses. So, hymn 281, there is a fountain filled with blood. is different to what we're singing but that's not to do with my glasses or yours it's, it's just what happens to be fits the tune so we just sing the chorus as it is not as it's up there and if you can follow that then you'll not be confused verse 2 the dying thief rejoiced to see
Let's unite our hearts together in prayer and so seek the Lord's face in prayer when we're still in God's presence. We're going to ask one of our deacons, one of our committee men, our brother Philip Calderwood, if Philip will come and lead us to the throne of grace in prayer, please. Let's all pray. Our gracious and eternal Heavenly Father, we bow before you tonight and we come humbly into thy presence. We thank you, Lord, tonight that we are assured of thy presence. For it says in thy word, for two or three are gathered together in thy name, there you will be in the midst. Lord, we thank you for the hymns sung already tonight. Thank you, Lord, that many of us in this room, Lord, can rejoice of a day where we knelt before the old rugged cross and we knelt at your feet and we asked you to come into our heart and you saved us for time and for eternity and Lord we're singing of the blood tonight and that glorious hope of salvation and heaven eternal heaven and we just pray Lord tonight for our gathering here tonight we pray Lord for those especially who are not saved those tonight who are not ready for that day Lord when they'll meet with thee and we just pray, Lord, tonight that this may be the night of their salvation. Pray, Lord, you'll move in their hearts and you'll move from seat to seat, from row to row. And tonight, Lord, we'll have men and women coming to know you as their own and personal Saviour. Lord, we thank you for every opportunity to preach the gospel. We thank you for the freedom we have here in this country to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. We pray, Lord, tonight, as we gather, you'll be pleased to give us fruit for our labours here. Lord, we also pray for any other gathering tonight in our province, those who are faithful to thy book and to the word. And we just pray, Lord, for meetings around the the country. Mm -hmm. Pray, Lord, you'll do a work there too. And Lord, we pray tonight for a pastor. We thank you for a pastor who's saved, who has a burden for the people of this town and for their field. We just pray for him tonight, Lord. You'll be on to him all he needs. You'll give him help. You'll give him strength. And most of all, Lord, you'll fill him with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray tonight, Lord, that uh, he'll be a blessing to us and we to him. Lord, we also pray for our brother who has came to sing. Pray for Jonathan. We thank you for his ministry. Thank you for the day you saved him. And we just pray, Lord, tonight as he sings that he'll be blessed. And uh, his message, Lord, will penetrate the hearts of men and women. Lord, we do thank you also for the internet work. We pray, Lord, for the voice going out on Sermon Audio, uh, YouTube, and any other platform, Lord. We just pray, Lord, tonight, as people maybe sit at home or wherever, that again they'll be touched and be spoken to. Lord, Lord, we're asking all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Philip. We're delighted tonight to have with us our brother, Mr. Jonathan Logan. I'm going to ask Jonathan to come and to minister to us in song, please, Jonathan. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning 
tonight um, to sing the old-fashioned gospel hymns. Well, that's quite a new one, but it's lovely words in it. This one here is probably uh, more old-fashioned. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. Even as the fifth verse, the last verse says, Oh, come to the Saviour, he patiently waits. <clears throat> 
My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distressed, till I heard a sweet voice saying, Make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the white seas no more. The may sweep or the wild stormy deep in Jesus I'm safe evermore oh come to the Savior he patiently waits to save by his power divine come anchor your soul in the haven of rest and say my beloved is mine oh I've anchored my soul in the haven Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Oh, anchor your soul in the haven of rest and sail the white seas no more. The ten Jesus, you're safe evermore. In Jesus, we're safe evermore. Thank you, Jonathan, for your ministry and song, and you'll be coming back in a minute or two to sing again. Our prayer and the desire of our heart is that each one of us will be assured that we've anchored our soul in the haven of rest. That haven is Christ, the one who is the anchor of the soul. And trust and pray that you'll come to know him, whom to know is life eternal. We bid you welcome uh, to the Gospel Mission tonight. We're delighted to see you. Uh, if you're a visitor, we're especially delighted that you have made the effort to be with us. Thank you for uh, coming maybe responding to an invitation, maybe seeing the advert or seeing the invitation that comes through your door. 
whatever means you are invited, we thank you for coming. And we trust that you'll enjoy your time with us here in the town hall, so much so that you'll come back again and you'll fellowship with us here during the gospel mission. Remember the meetings each night, 8pm here in the town hall, the time of prayer at 7.30 down in the MacArthur room. And then we'll be here, no meeting on Saturday evening, but the Lord's Day evening, 7pm for our evening gospel service. We trust and pray that you'll remember the meeting tomorrow night and in the will of the Lord, the Reverend McCray will be along to minister in song. Is he going to preach as well, brother? He's, just going to, he's only doing the singing. We could switch it around and you could maybe sing and he could preach, no? <laughs> Reverend McCray will be here tomorrow night and trust and pray that you'll remember God's servant as he comes. The hymn number 100 O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head? Our load was laid on thee. My stood as in the sinner's stead. Didst bear a little for me. Tremendous words in this hymn. And I think that as we sing it, you'll think about these words. And it'll bring us again to the cross. Where we've been each night in the gospel mission. Looking at individuals around the cross. Well, this brings us to the very centre of what Christ accomplished at Calvary. O Christ, what burdens by thy hand. <coughs>
Brothers, I'll give us a note and we'll sing the final verse unaccompanied. For me, Lord Jesus, thou hast died, and I have died in thee. What tremendous words. Thou art risen, my bands are all untied, and now thy lives in me. Think of those words as we sing them before Brother Jonathan comes to minister and song, please. Someday your heart will be asking 
king, what will he do with me? Oh, what will he do with me? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, What will he do with me? What will he do with me? What will you do with him? Thank you, Jonathan, for coming tonight, ministering in song. Uh, That piece will be very fitting on Friday night if you want to come back and sing it. Uh, we're staying in the cross and thereabouts these days and we don't want to stray very far from it. In fact, we're going to look during the entire mission at one day and those characters that centre around the cross of Jesus Christ. In the will of God, we will come tomorrow evening to think about Pilate's wife, but Friday night we're going to think about Pilate himself, the man that tried to wash his hands of Jesus and to get rid of him, but he could not, and a decision he had to make, <coughs> and so must you. I want to give my own personal words of welcome to you tonight, add that to what Mervyn has said. This is the Wednesday night, for whatever reason, and I don't understand it, in a mission uh, in Balamoni, Wednesday night always sees a slight, a slight dip, and uh, maybe that's true tonight, but the numbers are, are good. Sometimes you don't like noise when you're in the place of prayer, but... We're just praying tonight and we were listening to the feet of people coming in because the prayer meeting room is just below uh, the entrance there. And just to hear the footfall, and we talked about how the shops or the shopping centres talk about footfall and that's getting people in. And we're delighted that in the spiritual sense people are coming to listen to the gospel and in listening you can be saved because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Please God by the foolishness of preaching. To save them that believe. So you're in the right place. And you can find Christ as your saviour. Welcome those that are listening in. On the internet tonight. We are in a very simple way broadcasting. Thank you Samuel for the work that you're doing. Night by night. And we do hear of people that are listening in. And if you go on Facebook afterwards. You can, you can see the list of those. Or many of them who have made themselves known that they're listening in. So we have folks from Northern Ireland, we have folks from Scotland and further afield. And we know that the unconverted are listening in as well. We're thankful for that. Then we put out, sometimes we put a little video uh, clip. And you've seen me a couple of nights, I didn't do it tonight, but a couple of nights I've walked up the steps and just taken a verse of a hymn that has been sung. And we've put that out on our announcement group We've got a little WhatsApp announcement group and there's plenty of people that tune in. And I was talking to a man this afternoon who's not a believer, but he's part of that group. He's not well at this time. And I was just reminding him that he needed to be saved and that we're praying to that end. We've talked to him before about coming to the Lord and still as yet he hasn't trusted Christ. But the Lord is speaking to him and he was telling me, I'm listening to the wee video clips that are going out on the announcement group. 
So we trust that God will make those hymns that you have sung a blessing to him and bring him savingly to Christ. Let's turn the word of God to the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 27. Matthew 27. Well, if we were to prayer, uh, coming to read the scriptures tonight, let's pray that God will speak through his word. And what I say afterwards is just by way of explanation, what I read tonight is the infallible truth of God. And in the word of God itself, there is a power that is beyond anything else that I will say afterwards. Uh, no preacher can claim to preach a sermon that is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, except, of course, he's quoting the scriptures. The power lies in God's word, and we trust that God will speak even in the reading. And then as we seek to think upon these things and draw attention to a particular character tonight, that the Lord will continue to speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be focused. Nothing is more important than what is happening just now in this mission, coming to your word, that word that has a power all in itself, it's mighty. We want everything else to be taken away from our thoughts, that we might be able to focus in upon your word. And Lord, take away from our hearts anything of a hindering nature in hearing your word aright. And Lord, give me the help that I need to, to read and preach tonight. Grant us the Holy Spirit. We need the Lord to come and visit these meetings night by night. We believe that you have been here and you've been speaking. And come again tonight and speak to every waiting heart. Remember particularly those who are still strangers to your grace, who do not know the Lord, who are still outside the family of God. Lord, bring them near. Bring them to Christ. May this indeed be the night of their salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm going to read from the 11th verse of Matthew chapter 27. <clears throat> and Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast of the feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate saith unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you, 
They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could reveal nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You probably guessed who I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk about Barabbas. And the question, of course, is Barabbas or Jesus? Because that's what's before us here in this very challenging part of the history just prior to the cross. It's very often the, the case in life's experience that some man or woman will cross our path for a brief moment or two. And yet they provoke a very powerful thought within us that they make a lasting impression. We have traveled with them on a brief journey. We have met them for a short time, perhaps when visiting a friend. Or we have bumped into them briefly at some event, but they have made a remarkable impression upon us and we have never forgotten that. The deed that they did, the word that they spoke, the glance that they gave made an impression upon us. And we saw them just once and never again. It was just like a a passing ship in the night. And yet that brief encounter imprinted an image upon our mind that we will never forget. I I met a man in a leprosy colony in Brazil way back in 2003. This man was blind. He had no arms. He had no legs. You could say he really didn't have much of a life going for him. His his quality of life was very, very poor. And yet the joy of the Lord filled his heart. He knew the word of God. A blind man, no arms, no legs, and yet he knew the word of God better than most of us tonight. He was able to recite the Psalm 119. I was with Dr. Bill Woods at the time. That's who we had gone to visit. And we were visiting some former patients of him. But Bill told him in Portuguese, he says, no, don't recite the Psalm 119, but do one of the other Psalms. So he recited another Psalm. And then he sang to us. He sang with the joy of the Lord bursting forth in his heart. And that man has made a lasting impression upon me. I still see him in my mind's eye all those years ago, singing and reciting the word of God. Just a short visit, but I saw joy in the midst of suffering. There are many examples of such people in the crowded world of the New Testament. They just drop into the scene for a brief moment or a few short hours and and then they're gone. But they make a memorable impression. We have wondered after the rich young ruler who came to the presence of Christ that day. 
just for a very, very short time, he had this brief encounter with the Lord. He came running, he came kneeling, he came worshipping, he came desiring that he might have everlasting life. But you know, he walked away without that which he desired. He left the presence of Christ without eternal life. Because Jesus put his finger on something in his life that was more important than his salvation. And he wasn't prepared to give it up. We never read about him again. We've often wondered what happened to that rich young ruler. We have been amazed at the encounter of Christ with the the woman at Jacob's well. They're outside the city of Sychar. And again, it was just a brief encounter. And yet we see this woman from a background of immorality, finding Christ that day, being converted herself, running back into the city from where she came from and speaking to the multitudes. And we know that through her witness and bringing them out to hear Christ for themselves, there were multitudes of people that were converted that day. But we only read about her in that one short incident in the Bible. We know nothing else about her. But her life and her conversion has made an impression. The deliverance of the demoniac of Gadara from his legion of devils has thrilled our hearts and we have contemplated the mercy and the power of Christ. This man that was totally demented, out of his mind, had gone to live among the tombs, had left his natural habitat, had left his family. And yet one day he meets the Lord and the Lord cast out those demons. And the next thing we read, he's sitting at the feet of Christ. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. Just dropping into the scene for a brief part of the history in the ministry of Christ. And yet he stands out there in the pages of God's word. We have thought about the daughter of Herodias who danced her way into the murder of John the Baptist and undoubtedly danced her way on into a Christless eternity in hell itself. And who has not paused over the name of Barabbas and desired to know the kind of a man that he really was? There's much speculation and indeed there's a good deal of legend when it comes to this man. As far as history is concerned. Here is a man and he did no deed. He spoke no word. In this gospel story. Who stood only for a brief instant. In the life of Christ. Whom the people chose instead of Jesus. And yet this name stands out in scripture. And this little occasion. Not long before the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. Intrigues the mind and the soul. And brings us to serious meditation and contemplation about this relatively unknown Bible character. We know very little about him. Except a few details in this passing account that deals with the trial of our Savior. His name is Barabbas. That name actually means the son of the father. Or the son of a father. And very possible It was dealing with a Jewish father. That's what the scholars reckon that the name referred to. That his father was a very leading Jewish leader. A teacher of the law. A man that was trained in the things of God. Now one thing of which we can be certain of is that Barabbas goes free. And Jesus is condemned. 
Look at the words that we read tonight. Just reflect upon verse 16 through to verse 18. They had then two notable prisoners, a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Go down to verse 20, and we'll read verse 21 as well. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. And this account is given to us in all four Gospels. That shows how important it is when all the four Gospel writers make reference to what is happening during the trial of Christ and they highlight this man called Barabbas. It is one of the clearest pictures of a condemned sinner being set at liberty because a substitute has taken his place. And namely, for our purposes tonight, in gospel terms, we're thinking about Jesus Christ, the great substitute for men. He died, the Bible says, the just for the unjust that we might be brought to God. That is speaking about the substitutionary work of, of Christ. He's the just one, the holy one, the pure one. And he died for, instead of, as the substitute for, those who are unjust. And that's you and I. The word of God says, who of his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. And there's another beautiful little text that reminds us that he is the propitiation for our sins. It's a beautiful theological word and it's filled with meaning just reminding us in this word propitiation that there was one who turned away the wrath of God forever on behalf of sinners so that those sinners could go free and he did that by means of his sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary. This is the heart of the gospel, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. I had a little gathering last Sunday afternoon. It was really a private gathering. It was a, a non-converted a couple and they wanted their little child dedicated. We don't mind doing that, reading and praying with a child and just offering to the Lord prayer on behalf of that individual. And, and I was speaking to the group that had gathered, about 25 of them all together, all unconverted people. And I talked about the substitutionary work of Christ. And there was a young child there and said, I was taught that this morning in Sunday school. Good to know the children are being taught. It was a little girl of 10 actually who told me that and understanding what that meant. That there was one who took her place, that took our place when he died for us upon the cross. There is one who stood in our stead. And he fully represented us in, life, in his life of obedience and in his sacrificial death upon the cross of Calvary. And that's the way I want you to see this story tonight. There's a picture here in what we see in Barabbas and Jesus. Barabbas being released, Jesus being condemned. Jesus Christ going to die, Barabbas able to live. And that's a picture of the gospel. That's a picture of the substitutionary work of our Redeemer. I want you to notice first of all the condemnation of Barabbas. 
And for my points this evening, I, I want to take them in the parallel portion of Scripture in the Gospel of Mark. So we're looking up Mark chapter 15 and verse 7. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them, that made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Barabbas was a condemned man. He was under condemnation. He was condemned already. Now you put the descriptions together recorded for us in the gospel narratives and you will see the kind of a man that he really was and the condemnation that he was under and rightly so because he had broken the laws of morality and society and more importantly he had broken the laws of God. We're told here that he lay bound. That just simply means he was in prison. And he made insurrection. And he committed murder. And Luke gives the details of him being there for sedition and murder. And John calls him a robber in John 18 and verse 40. Now you want to think about those descriptions that are given to us in the gospel narratives. And that will present to you the kind of an individual that he was. The word insurrection is used. And that just simply refers to a person who rises up in open resistance to established authority, which, of course, Barabbas did. Sedition is agitation against the authority of the state. Conduct or speech tending to rebellion or breach of public order. And in the case of Barabbas, his uprising, his insurrection and sedition led him to robbery and to murder. When Barabbas was a young man, Jerusalem was seething with discontent. Most of the Jews did not accept the the home rule of the Romans. Therefore, they continually rebelled, they continually revolted, they continually laid plots, and they raised sedition. There was an organization called the Zealots that wanted to drive the Roman garrison from the Holy Land. And it's likely that young Barabbas was a member of that organization. In his zeal to rid Israel of tyranny, the tyranny of the Roman state, he became a thief and a murderer. And each step that he took, took him further and further into trouble and into sin as it still does today. The more sin a man commits, the more sin he goes on to commit. And so often he just gets deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. That is Barabbas. Now he is in prison. His crimes had caught up with him. He's bound in fetters. He he is under the death sentence. He is sitting, as the Americans call it, in, in death row. Just ready to be put to death. Only his being put to death will be sooner than than many who were sitting for years in the United States of America on death row. But the sentence has already been passed. He's a condemned man, and the sentence will soon be carried out as far as Barabbas was concerned. He's awaiting that sentence to be passed upon him. Very soon the death, or the the executioner rather, would come. And that executioner would be appointed, Barabbas would be summoned, 
And he would be executed for his crimes. He would be put to the awful death of crucifixion, which was the Roman way of dealing with individuals of this kind. You want to pause here for a moment and to see the parallel between Barabbas and the sinner. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that all men are condemned. We are condemned already, the Bible says, because of our sin. You think of the words of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John, the chapter 3 and verse 18, <clears throat> where it says, verse 18, He that believeth on him, that's on Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The sentence has already been decreed by a just and a holy God, the judge of all the earth. And God Almighty, as far as the sinner is concerned, he has condemned the sinner, he has passed sentence upon the sinner, and the sentence is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, wherefore death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Tonight, my friend, if you're not saved, you're under the death sentence. And that death sentence is not just a physical death. All of us are going to die, Christian and non-Christian alike. But that death sentence is the second death that is described in Revelation chapter 20, in that awful place called the Lake of Fire. Sinners will descend into the everlasting burnings of a lost eternity, because of sin. This is the penalty that God has decreed. This is the sentence that we deserve. Sinners are condemned. And oh that you would waken up in this meeting tonight. If you're under that condemnation. And you're not a Christian. That you would waken up and understand. That that's where you are. Under the death sentence. At least for Barabbas. He, he was aware of the condemnation he knew that he was under that condemnation. He knew that very soon he was going to die for the crimes that he had committed. The problem today is that many who are still in their sin without the Lord, they don't sense that, that condemnation that they're under. And they don't realize that awful eternity to which they are heading. But Barabbas was a condemned man. And so are you if you're not saved. I want to say secondly that there is the liberation of Barabbas. We're here in Mark chapter 15 and look at verse 15, the opening part of it. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them. Barabbas, the guilty, is acquitted and he's set free. Christ, the innocent, is condemned and sentenced to death. Christ was no rebel. He was no insurrectionist. He was no robber. He was no murderer. He went about doing good, the Bible says, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, such as the little summary that is given concerning the ministry of Christ. If you were to summarize his life on earth, and particularly that three and a half period of his public ministry, this is one way, a Bible way, in this text, to summarize 
how Jesus lived. He went about doing good. He was no lawbreaker. No, he was the law keeper. He kept the law on our behalf and he did that perfectly. His whole life and his character was stamped with innocence, with perfection, with sinlessness, with purity and holiness. He knew no sin, the Bible says. He did no sin. He never committed a crime. He never did anything wrong. There wasn't even one word out of place when it came to the Lord Jesus Christ. There wasn't an unholy thought in his mind. Holy, holy, holy is written across the person of Jesus Christ from start to finish. Barabbas, however, was one of the worst criminals and sinners, as we have outlined. A man deserving punishment and death. And yet he goes free. And Christ is condemned and sentenced instead. They take the blessed Son of God from Gabbatha to Golgotha, where he is crucified. He carries his cross part of the way. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And you watch him uh, as they spike him to that cross and they lift him up to die. And understand something of the agony and the intense suffering that was inflicted upon the pure and the innocent Son of God. We do not have adequate language or expression to describe all that took place on the brow of Golgotha when the dear Son of God was crucified for our sins. I want you to picture the scene. I want you to see what's happening in Pilate's judgment hall. Something very, very remarkable is taking place. One man becomes the substitute for another man. Barabbas, I am sure, will for eternity be grateful for what happened this day. Some believe, in fact, that it was even Barabbas's cross that Jesus Christ was crucified upon. Barabbas, this wicked criminal, was awaiting crucifixion, not knowing when that moment would occur. Those who were accused and found guilty of their crimes were housed in Antonius' dungeon, a cold, dark chamber where beaten and bruised prisoners awaited their fate. We can imagine Barabbas in that prison cell with a small window just waiting, waiting for that moment, waiting to be crucified. Through the window he could he could hear the crowd gathered before Pilate in the praetorium. It was about 500 yards away from the fortress Antonia where he was imprisoned. The Jews came to the, the steps of the praetorium. They would not go inside. It was Passover time. So the Jews would not defile themselves. That was a Gentile place. They would not enter into the building. And so Pilate goes out and he comes in goes out and comes in and he debates with the people who were demanding the death of Christ. This was 500 yards from the dungeon where Barabbas is being held awaiting his death. And Barabbas was able to hear the crowd. But he's not able to hear the one single voice of Pontius Pilate. You can hear a crowd that's 500 yards away, especially this crowd, this tumultuous crowd, this noisy crowd, but not a single voice. 
Now I come back just for a moment to Matthew 27 and look at verse 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ? Now you put yourself in the dungeon with Barabbas and and listen to what you hear. You can't hear what Pilate has just said. But look, look with me at verse 20 and 21. The chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. So Barabbas could not hear Pilate asking the question, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? But undoubtedly they heard the crowd shouting back, Barabbas. He could not hear Pilate's voice ask, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? But they certainly heard the crowd roar in response, Let him be crucified. I want you just for a moment to to try and understand what is going on here, what is being heard by this man. In fact, I'm going to ask you to be the crowd. I want you to, to stand there in the crowd, and I want you... To think about this word Barabbas, this word that is being shouted now 500 yards away, I think you would hear it. Maybe you could just shout the word Barabbas, could you? After two, one, two. That's not a very tumultuous crowd. That's not the way these Jews were shouting out. Let's try it again. One, two. Okay, and you can imagine not not just the, the smaller number here, but hundreds and hundreds of people that are there at the trial of Christ. And this beaming out, Barabbas, the name Barabbas. And then, of course, the next thing that Barabbas hears is the little phrase, let him be crucified. Can you say that? One, two. Let him be crucified. All right, are you getting the picture? 500 yards away, Barabbas, he couldn't hear what Pilate is saying. But he's listening and he hears what the crowd are saying. Barabbas, let him be crucified. Now if all Barabbas heard from his cell were these words. Barabbas shouted by the mob and followed by the words, let him be crucified. When the soldiers came to his cell and got a hold of him, what do you think Barabbas was thinking? I'm sure he was thinking, it's time for me to die. Barabbas, let him be crucified. This is the moment when I will be taken to the awful, torturous death of crucifixion. But when the soldiers came to his prison cell, they said, Barabbas, you are a guilty man, but you will be released because Jesus is going to die in your place. And that leads me to my third point tonight. The substitution for Barabbas. We come again to Mark chapter 15 and again verse 15. I'll read the whole text. It's the second part that deals with this point. So Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Jesus died in his stead. Do you see that tonight? Jesus died in his place. Barabbas knew the meaning of the cross perhaps better than any other man. I think I see Barabbas follow on that trail 
towards Calvary. I think I see him standing there in the crowd that day when Jesus Christ is being crucified. Knowing in his heart, I am free and he is punished. That should have been me upon the cross. And yet Jesus is taking my place. I sometimes wonder, did he ever take it to heart? Did he ever really come to to understand the full meaning of substitution? That he was not only dying in the physical sense for him, but now he was dying there eternally upon the cross of Calvary, taking his place. And that which he deserved for all of God's eternity was now being poured upon Christ in that short, intense moment of time. Imagine how you would have felt if you had have been Barabbas. In making the application here, we have to say we are guilty. We are the Barabbases of this world. You and I deserve the cross. If sin separates us from a holy God, and it does, and if sin demands that we are punished, because that's the condemnation that we are under, and it does, then we deserve we deserve to die. And we deserve to undergo all that the cross entailed. Oh, not to be crucified in the physical sense, but the cross entailed the punishment for sin. And there on Calvary's cross, Jesus Christ was taking to himself the punishment of our sin. And the wrath of God was being poured upon him. We sang it in that beautiful hymn tonight, how that Jehovah lifted up his rod. Oh, Christ, it fell upon thee. And Jesus now is taking our place. And that's what we deserve. We deserve to be damned in hell for all of God's eternity. But Jesus is taking our place on our behalf there upon that center cross. Dying in our stead. Being crucified for our sins. How glad I am that he who knew no sin was made sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's my prayer tonight. Even as we've preached this little message that you'll understand it. Understand it as you've never understood it before. And when you do that your heart will flow with gratitude and and appreciation. That there was one who stood in your place. Who was condemned in your stead. And took your punishment, your eternal punishment there upon the cross of Calvary. And as such a sight as that, as your heart is melted, that you'll be drawn to the Savior and you will come to trust in him and know your sins forgiven and know that joy of sins forgiven, having peace with God forevermore through the blood of the cross and being certain about your future, that is heaven with the Savior forevermore. Let's bow together in prayer. Him writer said, see from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flowed, mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Oh, my friend, tonight, if you could only see the cross. And see from the head of Christ, the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ, and the side of Christ. The price of redemption. The precious blood that flowed. That was shed for your sin. And in sight of that great love. That you might be drawn to the Savior tonight. And come to know him. Have you met this one? Do you know Christ? 
It's my prayer that you'll turn to him now. It's what the mission is about. And if we can help you, as we've said in other nights, that's why we're here. And we want you to seek the Lord, as the scripture says, while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. It's not by accident that you're here tonight in this meeting. We don't believe in accidents. We believe in divine appointments. God has brought you to listen to this message so that you might be saved. If we can help you, we're here after the meeting. I've told the folks in other nights that you can say to the door, at, at the door to me, uh, Preacher, I would love to be a Christian. I'd love to get right with God. Could I speak to you? And if we can speak to you and open up God's word and, and help you to the place where you need to come to, that's, that's what we want to do. And every Christian is here sympathetic and maybe you're with a Christian. Just say to that person, listen, I'm, I'm concerned about my soul. And I'd like to talk to the preacher. I'd like to talk to somebody tonight. And we can help you. Or just stay in your seat and others will leave and we can come and talk to you afterwards. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the one that was found. The one that came to take our place. We thank you for the infinite love of God the Father. And sending his beloved son. And for the infinite love of Christ himself who came. And at the end of his ministry went to the cross and laid in his life that we might be saved. We thank thee that he really and he truly stood in the sinner's place. And Lord, we see such a lovely picture. In Barabbas being set free, he ought to have died because of his sin, because of his crimes. And Jesus dying instead. And Lord, that is the gospel in spiritual and eternal terms. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for me. Thank you, Lord, for taking my place. May these truths become real in the hearts of sinners tonight. And may they fly to Christ and get saved for Jesus' sake. Amen. We do have a closing hymn that very often we sing in our own church at the close of a gospel service. It's 288. I am coming to the cross I am poor and weak and blind. I am counting all but dross. I shall full salvation find. That's what you find when you come to the cross. You find full salvation. I am trusting, Lord, in thee, blessed Lamb of Calvary. Humbly at thy cross I bow. Is there someone here and you'll just cry from your heart, Save me, Jesus. Save me now. And if you mean that, he will. He'll come in and he'll make all things new. Let's think of these words as we stand to sing.
Lord, may there be one even more tonight here in the building and sitting at home that will be willing to cry out from the very depths of their heart, Save me, Jesus. Save me now. And we know that when they do with sincerity, the Lord will save them. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank you, Lord, for a definite salvation. We thank you for promises that we can depend upon absolutely. Lord, may the sinner look away to Christ and know their sins forgiven. Separate us with your blessing now. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.